Welcome everybody to the Sleepy Perform Repeat podcast. This is your host, David Clancy, and along with my co-host, Connor Gavin, we are here in Soco Performance, Dublin, Ireland, to bring you a podcast focusing on what it means to be performing at the highest level, what in essence is high-performance culture. We're going to share our experience and our backgrounds into what we've acquired over the years. Connor Gavin has extensive experience of working in the AFL with the West Coast Eagles, but also having worked in a high-performance environment with the Irish rugby team. Myself, David Clancy, I'm going to bring my experience and know-how from having worked in London with Isaac Kinetic Medical Group on Hardy Street, but also having experienced high-performance culture working with the Brooklyn Nets and the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA. What we're striving to achieve here is to find out what exactly makes high-level athletes tick and what makes them to perform at the highest level and how they really can get back to play at the highest level of return to play and return to performance after injury. How do all these elements play a role in performance? That's what we're really trying to find out here. So I hope you all enjoy listening to this and can learn. I really hope it sparks an interest because what we're really trying to do here in Ireland is evolve and grow and tap into what really makes high performance culture. Hi guys, we have two guests for The Price of One to bring you today. We sit down and chat to Sarah Rowe, the footballer from Mayo and for Collingwood out in the AFL Women's League. So we're joined by Sarah's good friend, Laura Martina, who joins me and David in Grilling Sarah on, on all things sports performance. So we covered a load of different topics, including sports specialisation, the professionalism of the LGFA and GA in comparison to the AFL. We have a talk about Sarah's injury history, we run through the effects of social media on athletes in today's society. Uh, we also chat about the support structures that there are in place for younger uh, LGFA and GA players uh, in terms of sports psychology particularly. And uh, Laura has a very good discussion with Sarah about the cultural differences that there are between team sports in Ireland versus Australia. So a very interesting discussion with lots of takeaways in here for aspiring young athletes from any sport. As per usual, if you have any questions or comments from myself or David, we can be reached on Instagram on Soco Performance or D Clancy Physio. And likewise, if you have any questions or comments for the guys, Laura is there on L Martina 16 and Sarah is there on Sarah Row 123. So yeah, very interesting discussion and hopefully something in here for people to take away. Enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Sleepy Perform Repeat. This is Connor Gavin here and with my co-host David Clancy and today we are sitting down with Sarah Rowe, Mayo and Collingwood footballer and also Laura Martina, our friend. I'm going to hand over to David who's going to give the two girls an introduction. So firstly, thanks both for coming into the studio today. It's a pleasure to meet you both. Obviously, Laura, we've met a couple of times trying to get you being able to play. You had a sore thigh recently and Sarah, thanks a lot for giving us your time. Of course, you've played a lot of sports at a high level. I suppose you're interesting because you've played internationally for Ireland, represented underage. You've also flourished inter-county with Mayo, but you also have professional exposure having played in Australia, the AFL with Collingwood. So that was, there was a lot of reasons there as to why I wanted to bring you in today and just try to understand how you've gotten to where you are today and is there any kind of different things you'd like to do. But Laura, over to you. Tell us a bit about yourself and let's get this going. Um, so I met Sarah when we were in college in DCU. So we both studied um, physical education with biology in DCU. Um, so just my background, I just play club, hockey and Gaelic football. Um, and I'm currently teaching at the moment. So um, me and Sarah have been pals now for four years, four or five years. Um, 
so we've gotten to know each other more on a social level I guess we've never played together and like that but um I guess she's a bit of an inspiration like just watching her and stuff through all the different sports she played and she's just that's the first time you ever said that to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's good all coming good out timing, good timing. Yeah, it's on yeah. the record now and <laughs> um, so I suppose I was just thinking of questions that like might be I've always wanted to ask you and stuff like that so the first one I was thinking of is how you actually got into sports because you obviously there's a lot of girls in your family apart from your dad so you know like for me the reason why I got into sports was just I watched my brothers play and stuff like that so how did you get into sports? Um, so I started playing sports when I was probably eight or nine, started with soccer, then I went on to Gaelic, but it was more so in primary school. I had um, my principal at the time, Hugh Lynn, was like a massive influence in my career. He started me off and like kind of showed me tough love very quickly from the start and I suppose he showed me what hard work was, so he was a big influence and then my granddad was also on the last Mayo team to win the All-Ireland, which is uh, in 1951, so a long time ago. So he would always be in the back garden, making sure like I'd kick off my weak foot at, from a young age. And I suppose I looked at him and saw what he had done and saw how he was respected around Mayo and always kind of dreamed of playing with Mayo. Um, and then, as I say as well to you today, like my dad has been a really big influence in my life as well, just... He just his work ethic is like no other gets up at four o'clock in the morning works between ireland and china and i suppose then people have really had a big influence and yeah so i just tried to balance soccer and gaelic from the age of probably eight or nine until i was um 20 and then i gave up soccer to focus on ga yeah so why did you choose gay football um i think that we're a big ga family in Mayo and it's always really been my favourite sport. I love the professionalism of soccer and you know we got to the European finals, we achieved a good bit of my underage career and then I went on I got maybe five or six caps for the seniors and that's when I decided I actually thought think I wanted to choose Gaelic. But um at that time our under nineteen coach was um Dave Connell was his name, was going for the senior job and it was kind of a matter of whether he got the job or not. If he got the job, I was going to commit to soccer because we had a really good run of it at underage. But if he didn't, I was going to decide to go with my passion, which was playing for Mayo. So, um, yeah, I made a tough decision, but I just couldn't physically balance the yeah. two at the time just by the way we're training now and how the standards have rose a lot. And a lot more is expected of you in each sport whereas when I was younger you could you know turn up to train three days a week soccer three days a week football but now there's obviously your gyms or conditioning so much more to it than than there has been before yeah and just on that uh, Sarah so you I I was actually a few years ago I was lucky enough to work with the West Coast Eagles so this is a good few years ago now back in way back in the day but the standard and difference between what they were doing then compared to what say inter-county GA teams were doing at the time what they were like light years ahead mm-hmm. so that gap has really closed in the last few years with there's more and more professionalism coming into GA and especially even in, in with the ladies team I mm-hmm. worked with Dublin a few years ago and they were like really far advanced in, in what they do in their preparation wise so do you notice much of a difference from when you're bouncing from the Mayo setup to the Collingwood setup or is that gap narrowing or is it still um, definitely narrowing a lot um, in terms of the way we train and what's expected of the girls it's very similar like obviously the difference there is it being a business and it being an amateur and essentially your hobby I think that's the big difference like when I'd sit in Collingwood and look around me the all the offices are 
their people working full-time jobs in order to make you a better athlete so that's really the big difference but in terms of preparation and training like your prehab your gym sessions your running sessions all of them are very similar except in Collingwood it's just a bit more of an endurance game and it's obviously GA then is a faster game so that's the major difference but in terms and I suppose in terms of the way they look at your mindset over in Collingwood and how they I suppose teach you how to be a professional athlete and show you what commitment looks like and show you what eating look eating well looks like whereas you know sometimes in the GA it's just like we need to be committed we need to be this we're like what does that actually look like and you're really taught to be apt a certain way inside and outside training so that's probably the big differences. It's funny I was at a conference in Wembley last week and there were several people that have worked in the AFL and in fact the new head of performance for Arsenal used to work in the AFL and he was asked a question as to well how is it different now because Oftentimes in the Premier League over the last couple of years, loads of Australian AFL experienced physios and docs would be employed because they were 10 years in front in terms of load management, training, regimes, preparation and all that. Mm -hmm. But what he said is the gap is narrowing, and that's the Premier League, but even Gaelic Sport was mentioned that came up in the conversation or saying how that gap is narrowing. It's quite amazing because you were experiencing kind of an amateur game, but then a professional game where people's in the office. And the fact that the gap is narrowing, so I suppose speaks volumes about how far the, the GA has come in Ireland, really. Yeah. yeah, 100%. It's come so far, especially in the last three years, there's been a massive increase in the way we train and the way we prepare for matches. But I think it's thanks to Little since they came on, on board, it's really pushed the promotion of the game. And then I suppose girls see a platform and they see where they can get to by younger girls having a look at you know there being more billboards there being more promotion of it on tv and stuff like that and i think that's how people kind of see an end goal um but yeah like you're saying load management between when you're inside collingwood that that is one thing that's different because in a way you can flag someone really when it comes to an amateur sport and load mightn't be as taken into context as much as it would be in collingwood like if you do a 10k session on a monday like You'll only do a 5k session on a Wednesday and you might go back up and do 10 or 12k session on a Friday but you'll never overdo it and your body's always able for it whereas at home you can run run us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. Friday if you want because it's probably especially women's at the minute like we don't have the funding we have GPS. GPS's we do have them okay. but I think that area could be improved a small bit more and yeah. um, people to analyse the data and all that obviously yeah. we the men's game, I'd say Dublin and Mayo and the bigger teams obviously have all them resources and, they, and they've loads of people to help them out. But in the women's game, you'd have maybe five or six in your background team, whereas I'd say the men's could have 10 or 12 and yeah. people for everything. So it makes a bit of a difference. Mm. Laura? Um, so one of my things I want to ask you was, I know you had a shoulder injury there a couple of years ago. I think you were playing for DC at the time. <clears throat> and I actually can't remember what happened, so maybe you'll tell us what happened, but how did you bounce back? So I think it was coming up to, you ended up getting to an Ireland final that year. So how did you bounce back to that? Um, did it take you? Yeah, so I actually did it at DCU training against, I was going in for tackle and Leah Caffrey, Dublin Blair. Um, I just kind of put my arm in and um, as she pulled away, my like it just subluxed forward. And I never forget the pain. It was honestly the sorest <laughs> thing in my life. Um, and then it was kind of out for about 20 minutes and then I got it put back in and 
I decided at the time we were in the O'Connor Cup final for DCU and I had seven weeks to get back. So I managed to get back after four, which was a bit ridiculous to be honest, because I wasn't right. I was just too stubborn and like that again, I could kind of say, oh no, I'm fine. And you can kind of get away with it. Whereas if I was in Collingwood, there'd be absolutely no chance that I'd be allowed back after four weeks. Okay. Um, so, but that was it, college football as well. Like that wasn't what Mayo. So, um, yeah, my, and then I decided not to get the surgery until the end of the season. I was like, the league was starting with Mayo and I wanted to try to play as much games as possible because I think you can, it gives you great preparation for championships. So I didn't get the operation, got through the league, was never fully right, couldn't fully extend over my head. And then once the season was over, I got surgery on my shoulder and um, 10 weeks before I came out to Australia. So I just had enough time to nearly be fully recovered before I came out. I had another two weeks rehab to do when I got to Collingwood, but season wasn't starting till after Christmas, so I had loads of time. So I have a question about uh, social media on a completely different uh, slant. So one of the big news articles that made the news over here about the AFL, the Women's League, was the stuff with Taylor Harris yeah. that went on. So obviously with social media, there's loads of pros and then there's obviously cons of like the stuff that happened with her. Mm -hmm. As somebody who would say have a, like a higher profile in, in Ireland and probably in Australia as well with the first season, how do you completely just ignore all that kind of stuff? Like as in not that kind of specific stuff, but just negative feedback from say people who aren't experts quote unquote yeah. on social media or does it affect you does it not affect you and um, yeah i like over in australia you'd have read one or two things kind of about like why are you bringing over irish girls like it should be australian bred people i'm like fair enough like that's their opinion whatever and um, i'd be very switched off to that i i think when i was younger and stuff i would have really taken things like that to heart and been got down in the dumps by it but then at the end of the day I realised that like these people first of all don't think you're reading it and they think that they also don't really have a clue themselves so I kind of realised that I'm like it's very superficial and I don't really take much heed of it but I can see how it would affect people and I suppose Taylor Harris was a, a prime example of how I actually know her because she's with she's really good friends with one of the girls on my team and she was very upset by it and um, you know but she was strong enough to I suppose had a, a good bit of backing in her club and backing of her girls to get over something like that but really like it's very superficial like everything on social media at the moment it's like a portrayal of everyone's perfect life when that's not really the real case so take it with a pinch of salt but then another part of it is well you have to take the bad with the good because yeah. on a good day when you're play well you're a hero and then the next day you have a bad game and you're the worst player on the pitch so it's very fickle yeah. and I realise that. So you, you say there like you, you can handle that well now by the sounds of it but a few years ago you might have had a different response mm -hmm. to it and one of the things that struck me about the ladies football the inter-county scene here is that there's some very young girls who play and kind of who make the breakthrough mm -hmm. so do you think there are kind of enough support mechanisms in place for these girls to deal with this kind of criticism or this kind of pressure as they're coming up through the ranks now that women's uh, sport is getting a lot more of a, a following online are they prepared to deal with kind of the, the fallouts of negative performance things like that or um no i think it's through experience through trial and error that you learn it yourself but um i think there is sports psychologists out there who i went to on numerous occasions and really helped me with my mindset and being able to switch off from training and not like bringing my training thoughts home because that's when you know that's when it doesn't it's not enjoyable anymore so 
Um, there's a, a woman called Marion Byrne who I go to maybe once every six weeks or something, just kind of chat things out and I, she's been a really good help to me. So I think the biggest thing is for them to have someone that they can relate to. And I have a really like strong foundation at home and my parents are really easy to talk to and talk to them about everything. So I'm really lucky that way, but not everyone has that. So either to talk to a player who's like a leader on your team or a parent or a sports psychologist, I think that's definitely something that people shouldn't be ashamed of. And, you know, people frown upon it being like, well, you need to go there when you have a mental health issue. And like, it's kind of an Irish culture, I suppose, where we just don't like to talk about them things. So um, but I'd say just talk it out and it's fine and get a perspective on it. For me, how have you managed the whole balance between social, working life, quality of life, along with being now a high performing professional athlete, as well as also playing inter-county. How do you, because that's always a difficult one for some people, how do you strike that balance and get it When right? you say social life, what do you mean? <laughs> she managed it quite well in DCU anyways, yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> when I was in college, um, I actually did have a very good social life, but it was very, it was very much so timed during my off season. So, um, I had an off-season regime and then an on-season regime, but <laughs> now that I've actually went to Collingwood, I have a completely different outlook on it. I think I think like drink and stuff like that really does affect your performance, and like, I but I think obviously a balance of it is fine, and like everything in moderation. It's the same with food and people's perception around oh this food group is bad, that's bad. I think everything in moderation is fine, yeah. um, but in terms of my social life, when I was over in Australia, like my. My family as such was my team, my friends were my team. Mm. Like that was kind of my social life. We didn't drink at all through season and we went out for a few drinks at the end of season, but that was because the season was like seven weeks long and it's just like one game after the other. But um, they didn't, they weren't, it was a friend upon if you wanted to have a few drinks, but like not like the Irish culture, we don't do a few drinks. So, yeah. um, but yeah, to balance social life and Training is an education and all those things. Because you're a yeah. teacher now, right? Yeah. <laughs> very good teacher. Very good teacher. And I say, DCU, we're glad to see the back of me. I spent a lot of hours in the library. If you ask anyone around there, they'll know. I can confirm that that is a lie. <laughs> so I got I just I got through college and um, wanted to get the degree under my belt. But um, yeah, when I was in college, it was just like, like. I took what it was every day, like it was also about enjoying myself, but I, I always was the person that if I did go out or whatever, I'd always be up the next morning to go for a run, like I, I did manage to balance things like that. I knew that training was really important, but um, again, it's all about timing of yeah. um, when you can enjoy yourself and when you can't, and I think it makes it much more better when you've something to celebrate. So that's kind of the way I look at it now, it's very much at a minimum. And you're just talking about there about different cultures and stuff like that, where you didn't drink in Australia and like obviously there's a bit of a drinking culture, I suppose, in Ireland. Did you find that there was a bit of a difference in the squads, like in their the way they thought about their social life in Australia and, and, compa and compared to here? Like was it, you know, did you go for a drink after training? Would you go for a drink after training in Ireland or, you know, how how's, how's it different? Well, obviously when you're in the GA culture, it's very all or nothing kind of thing. So. Um, and then when it's all, it's everything, all out. And when it's, and then, but in Australia, it's like, um, they have a very healthy lifestyle in general, yeah. like their food choices, their, where, like, their brunch, everything. It's just like good food. You can tell where every, everywhere you go, there's a healthy option. 
Um, so no, drink wasn't a massive part of people's lives really over there, I felt. Um, a glass of wine with dinner was yeah. about the height of it. And did the girls like talk about drinking? I feel like in Ireland all we do is like, you know, we get to a final and we're like, oh, I can't wait to go out then after. You know, was that yeah. kind of a chat or was it just like, you know, we'll play the game and then we'll get through it kind of thing? Um, just kind of more so like we'll, we'll play the game and we'll just enjoy it at the very end of the season. Yeah. There was none of that kind of like throughout season really. It was just like purely focused and uh, the women in the offices as well would be driving that as well because yeah. they wanted yeah. us to be a certain type of player on and off the pitch. So what motivates you? What keeps you going? This is something I wanted to ask you. What, you know, you've been excelling now for quite some time, right? But you're, you're still under 25. What's motivating you? What's the next step? Um, what do you want to achieve? I suppose I love a challenge, but um, I very much so take it day by day because I think long-term goals sometimes can set you up for disappointment. So yeah. I make sure to do the small things well every day. So my habits every day, like... Thanks is like eating well, like getting up, taking my supplements, like training probably for two hours most days and making sure I do all them things that tick them little boxes every day. And I know that then at the end, when I have a match or something, I can have the confidence knowing that I've done all the little things right. And that will essentially give you confidence to perform on a consistent basis. And um, so that's probably the main thing that I um, do, just the small things well. And when I was over in Australia, I used to keep a little booklet and every evening I'd tick off the boxes to make sure I did all them things right and if I did great and if I didn't other days I'd like just be better tomorrow and then I'd always have confidence going into games I've, I've done everything I've, that was asked of me so there's no reason I shouldn't perform. Perfect. I've got a few performance related questions for you coming up we ask these three questions to everyone who comes on so uh, everyone's had a different answer today which has been interesting so we'll see what you have uh, for us now. High performance or high performance culture, what does that mean to you as a, as a term? How would you define it as it means to you? Um, there's loads of things when you think of high performance. It's um, about, I suppose, the way you carry yourself on and off the pitch. And I think it's the things you do when no one's watching, really, is what I would class as high performance. And that's including your prehab, your gym sessions, your extra sessions, your extra skills sections sessions, the way you eat, uh, the way you go to bed on time, hydrate your body, um, your mindset, because your mind is a really big part of it and make sure that that's always, you know, right and if it's not to kind of seek help for that. So that would probably be my idea of high performance. Perfect. Yeah. And let's say you're playing a game, you've missed a free kick, you've made your one-on-one -on -one with a keeper, you miss it or somebody kind of gets under your skin and you've lost your edge or you've lost your focus a little bit. How do you regain that within the game, we'll say? I always go back to what I'm good at and, you know, in Gaelic it could be something and then in AFL I, I probably was the fittest I've ever been and the strongest I'd ever been and reached kind of targets that I'd never hit before. So that was what I always went back to and that always was just hard work really. But the main thing I could always say to myself was I'll always outrun my opponent. So when things were going bad, I'd keep on my toes and keep running all the time mm -hmm. so that um, eventually I'll wear them down and eventually I'll get my space. So that would be what I go back to. Perfect. And then lastly for me, your big three in life at the moment, what would you say they, those are? They can be professionally related or personal life, anything. What kind of sums you up in terms of your focus at the moment? So, 
give me an example of what your three would be first. <laughs> my three. Oh, yeah. that's oh. first. Jeez, oh, that that's my great. three would probably be uh, family. Mm-hmm. I had microphones on me, family, um, my health, focusing on my health, and probably focusing on this podcast and getting really good, interesting guests in. <laughs> now I'm going to cut across. Laura, what's your big three? Oh, God. Uh, family, friends, and just being happy. Definitely. Very good. Um, mine is definitely my family they're like the centre of my universe Um, my family my sport because sometimes my family say I'm a selfish sports people person Hmm. which most sports people are because it kind of comes before everything really Um, so sport family and um, fun Nice. Yeah, you need fun in life. Yeah, so yeah. Definitely <laughs> good laugh. I yeah. love good laugh. <laughs> if you if you could do anything different in your journey through through to now, is there anything you do different, or would you repeat it and it's done exactly as you'd like to? It's exactly as you planned out. If you had planned it out, is there anything you look back to and go, oh, maybe if I changed that, or you know, maybe I did that? Are you very content as you're going? Um. I'm content as I'm going because the amount of mistakes I've made have been great because they have what actually has shaped me in my mindset and stuff and the way I am now, if I could have been that a few years ago, like my life would have been a lot easier but I would have never learned that unless it was through experience. So making all them mistakes that I did as a young player um, have been really good for me. So I probably wouldn't change anything. And my last question, Sarah, we obviously went to college together, I'm teaching. Um, so married. <laughs> what, what is Lady your plan after? Like, yeah. will, will you ever go teaching? Do you have any desire for it? Or what? Like, I know if you're only under twenty-five, I said earlier, but like, what do you think you're going to do later on in life? Well, teaching certainly isn't my passion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. You couldn't you really to you? think of anything yeah. worse. But yeah. <laughs> at the moment, I'm like, sport is everything about me. It's it's everything I live for, and it's it genuinely is my life. So. If I could be a professional athlete for the rest of my life, I would, but if I can't, which is quite likely that I won't, because I don't, I don't know if I want to up and leave my life in Ireland forever either, whereas six months in Australia is no harm at the moment. Um, but I think I'll definitely work in sport, or I'd love to work with young girls and kind of on their mindset, like I suppose not to make, make the same mistakes that I did and um, make life a bit easier for people like that. So I'd love to go into the route of maybe like, sports psychology, nutrition, or sports performance, something along those lines. So um, So we'll never get to teach together. I might do it when I'm settled and have kids and stuff like that, when I want a few holidays and a soft life, because teachers go on like it's hard, it's quite easy. (laughs) Controversial one. Yeah, I won't get into it today. (laughs) Psychology, I'm glad you said that, because that's exactly what my sister's studying. Teaching. Psychology. Oh, psychology. Sports yes. and motivational psychology is exactly what she's studying in UL now. So that's exactly kind of what she need to be hearing. I suppose what I'd like to say is just in wrapping up for us all today, Sarah, you know, you do, you're a person that does the small things well. You prepare, you, you seem to be one that does things in the dark. So not everyone understands how much grinding and hard work, perseverance, resilience, all these things that you have to work on every day to reap the rewards on the pitch. You're synonymous with sport. Obviously, you've succeeded in several sports. Anything you've touched has become gold. 
Um, family is really important to you, as it seems to be for this round table here. If I was asked, <laughs> I'd have put family at the top as well. And you know, you're someone that stays on your toes and outruns your opponents, and that's a credit to you. So I'd like to acknowledge you for coming in today. It's been a real it's pleasure. Right. Laura in particular, thanks for facilitating this today, making yeah, it happen. Worries. And it's been really interesting for Connor and I, so thanks for both Thanks very much, guys. Thanks, thanks guys. Cheers. Cheers.